Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. I get to introduce something for you. I've got two different ways to introduce. This first video is going to be about the ministry, uh, the new outreach of uh, the gentleman that's with us today. His name's Kevin Ramsby. You'll hear about him in just a second, but he wants to tell you a little bit about his uh, Fight to Forgive ministry, and uh, this is having huge impact around the world. He'll tell you a little bit about that, but we wanted to show you that video. In 2009, a man broke into my home and stabbed me 37 times. I was left for dead. I was filled with hate and anger towards this man. We lost everything, our security, our children's innocence. We even lost our finances and our home. I became obsessed with wanting vengeance. So you know what I did? I forgave him. Join me as we explore the 11 strategies of forgiving that God has given me. You'll be encouraged by biblical teachings that changed my life. Fear is a spirit and God never directs by fear. God only leads by peace. A lot of times we hear things like, why would God allow this to happen? Why would God do this to me? Does God not love me or care about me? Once you experience the forgiveness of God, it releases you to forgive even other people. It's easy to forgive them when they're sorry. A real test is they don't even know how hurt you You'll hear some amazing stories. I had smoked crack with my dad. He hit me going at a speed of 70 miles an hour. I was not even allowed to be called by my own name in my house because that's how much hate there was for my father. She said, Daddy molested me. And in a split second, I said, me too. I believe your faith will be strengthened to the point of being set free from the grip of wrongs and wounds. My name is Kevin Ramsby, and this is Fight to Forgive, The Plan. So if you're interested in Fight to Forgive, there's more information on the table out in the lobby. You'll hear Kevin's story in just a second, but uh, this is the outreach that is being put literally in the hands of hundreds of thousands of people, most of whom are inmates in prison, and it was his uh, experience that led him to want to reach out to the people who did perpetrations like the one against him. And uh, that, we have a video to share that story, and then he's going to come. When this video is over, would you welcome Kevin, uh, Harvest Ridge welcome. Let him feel love today. Uh, let's watch this video and then welcome him. Action. Go ahead and come in, Kevin. You're gonna look right at center cam. Why don't you just give us your name and tell us where the story started. My name is Kevin Ramsby, and on August 4th, 2009, um, a man broke into my home and stabbed me 37 times. We always felt safe, and then our neighbors here 
became our friend. Joe lived across the street. He would bring us the most amazing catfish over our house. Um, How are you, Steven? How are you? The pleasure's all mine. How's it? So I already talked about you. your catfish that you brought us. <laughs> I'll cook some more. I'll eat some. <laughs> We knew each other, we kind of watched out for each other and talked with each other. It wasn't like everyone kept their own, you know, their, themselves. We were part of a community. Kids were 9 and 12, I believe. So we moved in here. We spent about a year fixing up the house. So we would come back and hung the chandeliers, redid all the floors and the ceilings had just so much woodwork and the trim, we just fell in love with this house. And so that's why we were like, this is gonna be our forever home. And we kind of began remodeling it with that in mind that we were gonna be here for the rest of our lives. Didn't know by the time we got it, we fixed, spent a year fixing it up that it would only be nine months after moving in that home completely changed. was attacked in his Highland Park home in 2009. A man broke into his house, stabbed him 37 times, and left him for dead. Well, good morning, Harvest Ridge. How are you doing today? Well, first of all, can we give it up for your pastor right now? Come on. <laughs> Pastor Kevin's amazing, his wife, what a great team, it was such a great, thank you for, it means a lot that after 10 years, Pastor Kevin invited me back. So we're on a once every decade, so I will see you guys in 10 more years after today. No, it was, it was, it's amazing to see the work that God is doing here. Um, it was 10 years ago, I actually shared, and this was, man, so, this attack was so fresh and raw then. Um, but we met over in the other building, and man, it's just amazing to see what God's doing. I want to share with you today, I'm going to talk about uh, forgiveness, and I'm going to deal with probably the number one question, maybe top two um, question, about the, one of the greatest challenges uh, when it comes to forgiving, and it is this, how do you forgive if you can't forget? How many have ever had to deal with that, that before where it's very hard to forgive because of the forgiveness? Let me ask you this out of the gate. How many believe that it is possible to forgive and forget? Let me see your hands. Okay, put them down. How many think it is impossible to forgive and forget? Let me see your hands. How many abstain from both of these votes? Let me see your hands. Thank you. That's what I thought. Some of you are like, this is a trick question. I'm not going to go on record for any of this. Well, I'm going to deal with this. Before we share a little bit more about kind of that night that we talked about there, I want to take you back There's a, to my probably second greatest challenge of forgiving someone and then having to deal with this, how do you forget what they did to me? It was a few years back that there was a famous Hollywood producer. They called us, and they wanted to film our story for a show that they were producing on the TLC channel, and it was going to be played for all these people. And I've always been hesitant to give permission for someone to share my story because to them, it's a story. To me, it's my life. And so I was always hesitant about that. 
But um, after hearing her and just what the vision was, we agreed to do it. And so this producer sent her entire team of film. They rented a hotel in Detroit, and they had scheduled interviews with me, my wife, um, they, my physician and doctor. They had the police officers that were the first responders interview them for this show. And, it, you know, after it was done, I was like, this, I think, went pretty good. We were looking forward to the air date, <laughs> and when it came out, um, we kind of created these little watch parties, so I'm having a bunch of our closest friends had gathered together and family, and there's people in different cities around the country, they're watching this, and uh, you know, it was kind of moving to see this played out um, in front of us, and so um, until there came this one part of the episode that really um, almost took me back to the night that I was attacked. And, it, and I'm going to sum it up in three pictures here. But there came a point when they went from interviews to reenactment. And in this reenactment, it's where they get someone in, they come and they, they're playing me as the guy's playing me and someone's playing my wife and they act out the scenes and stuff like that. And let me just show you what happened. When they did it, this is how I see me. Doesn't, you know, that's me. This is how I saw me. Um, in that moment, and second photo is how I thought they would see me, right, like that. <laughs> and, um, and so I had hired, I, Brad Pitt was like a second, um, you know, so I thought Joey from Friends might be more, you know. But here's what happened. When the reenactment took place, it was simultaneous that the moment this man stepped on scene, don't put it up yet, don't, the moment he stepped on scene, my phone blew up with laughy face, cryy face emojis because this is how they saw me. And I'm just going to tell you, uh, yeah, you can laugh at that. And I mean, and, and it's not, again, it's not that he's a bad looking guy. I'm not calling anyone ugly or not like, but it was how they depicted me is this guy was like Mr. Mopey and he just was like walking around. Oh, and um, you know, I'm like talking to my wife and she's rejecting me and I'm like, oh, I'm a bad, you know, it's just kind of like this, the way they acted it out, it was this, and instantly I had to forgive this producer. But the problem was, how was I going to forget what she did to me? Because my phone was just, I lost all street cred in the city of Detroit. We had been inner city pastors for 24 years. We worked with gang members and people who struggled on the streets. With Our church was an old triple X movie theater. On one side was a strip club. On the other side was a transvestite motel for prostitutes. I mean, I had a reputation, and they just shot me down. <laughs> and so... Um, it was very difficult for me to have to deal with this topic of forgiving and then also how do I deal with the fact of being able to forget what she did? And it really led me back to that night on August 4, 2009 when a man, when I was awakened to the sound of breaking glass and I raced down the stairs to be confronted by a man armed with a large knife. It'd be like the largest one that you would find in your uh, kitchen knife block and he was armed with a knife. I was armed with a killer tennis racket, and, and I left my padded cover on it because Christians are supposed to walk in love, and I didn't want to hurt them too bad, so we decided to have a little battle, and unfortunately, the racket didn't hold up against the knife, and as I jumped from the second stair to tackle the man, in that split second, he lowered the knife, and it went into my abdomen and ripped upwards, creating a seven-inch deep wound to my abdomen. A fight ensued. Um, wasn't much of a fight. He began just throwing knife blow after knife blow. I'm just trying to 
just trying to defend myself, block him as much as I can. Nearly lost two fingers. One hit the temple two times through the throat, all the way through my cheek. Um, to the point that I couldn't stand any longer, fell flat on the ground. And in that moment, you would think that whatever this guy came to do, I'm on the ground, I've been wounded, you would think he would just go and just take whatever it was that he came for, do whatever he came to do. But instead, he walked over, dumped on top of me, straddled me, and just began stabbing me over and over and over. There was one point when the knife was coming down, I was actually able, able to grab the knife and the complete blade broke off in my hand to where he is now holding just the handle and I'm holding the blade itself. And in that second, man, there was, there was actually was a sense of hope because now I thought I could defend myself as I began to try to fight him off of me so I can get off of my back, off of the ground Problem was, I wasn't able to hold onto a handle. I was holding onto the sharp blade, the part that it did severe damage to my hand. It fell out, went on the ground, and in that split second, as he scrambled to get it, I quickly tried to get up and get to my feet. And just as I was ready to stand up on off, and I was on my hands and knees, the man pounced on my back, wrapped his arm around me, and just began resume stabbing me. Ten more times to the back of the head, six times to my shoulder, and the worst were the six or seven spines to, to the base of the neck in my spine area. To the point I felt electrical current shoot through my body. I fell flat on the ground, and I was convinced I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. I was just there on the ground, and in that moment, I looked up, and then when I looked up, I saw my 70-pound black lab named Maggie. And I remember seeing her right there in front of me. And I'm looking at her and I'm just sitting here going like, why aren't you doing anything? I'm like, you mainly might. I'm like, take one for the team, bite them, sick them, bark, do something. And I just felt like, I just remember looking up and I thought that she was like, huh? You know, and it was like, and I said had because after that night, she failed the protection test. We gave her to our women's ministry home. We upgraded to Rocky the German Shepherd, only to have to downgrade to Buddy the diaper-wearing Yorkie one year later. <sighs> so dogs were no longer part of our security system from that day forward. Um, but it was at that moment, all alone, man's best friend was useless, the man asked for the first time, where's the keys? Where's the money? So I don't have any money. The keys are in the kitchen. He would go to the kitchen, look for it. Couldn't find it. Come back, stick me again. Begin dragging me to the kitchen one more time. Where's the keys? Where's the money? I remember telling him about my kids, trying to see, man, if maybe he has children, he would just let me go. I told him, I got two amazing kids. Just take whatever you want. Just go. I've, you know, I've got kids, just go. And when he couldn't find them the second time because the keys were under a piece of paper on the counter, came back, stuck me again, dragged me into my kitchen where one last time he yelled out, where's the keys and where's the money? And at this point, I, I'm honestly, I'm ticked <laughs> because I now know that this man has just ruined my life. And at that moment when he asked that, I tried to look up as best as I could, and with every ounce of strength in my voice, I yelled at him one last time, it doesn't matter anymore 
because I'm dead. Began going in and out of consciousness. I prayed and just felt like God was nowhere around and prayed again specifically. Give me a verse or angels or lights and just, I was just desperate. I just needed God to know that he wasn't surprised like I was at three in the morning. And um, just when there was nothing, all I could do then is start praying my, kind of my last prayers and start praying for Sarah. Before everything happened, she had left to go to Illinois and we kind of had a little bit of a disagreement. It wasn't a fight, but it was a, we just kind of parted our ways kind of abruptly, shortly, just kind of said, hey, we'll talk to you later. I just remember thinking here how She's gonna now live the rest of her life not knowing what I should have told her that morning. That was how much I loved her. And, um, and then prayed for you know, my daughter. I just didn't want nothing to happen to her. I knew that her dad, as her dad, I wouldn't be there to protect her anymore. And um, so God was gonna have to be her father. And then began praying for Noah, that Noah would uh, not blame God for what happened and that he would know living for Jesus is the greatest decision he could ever make in his life. And that's when I just heard words, they still need you. And then I realized that I need to do something. <laughs> they still need me. And it just changed. I went from just waiting to die to like, I got to figure out how to get out of here. And I can't just accept this. I can't just stay down. I got to figure out. So thankfully, and he actually dragged me here and I turned my head and looked this way and saw the side door. And when I saw the side door, it was then that I was, I was able to stand up, which was kind of crazy because before I couldn't move. I felt like I was paralyzed, stuck to the ground, but I was able to stand. My insides were out of me, so I had to pick them up. They were on the floor, so I had to pick up my insides. And uh, so I was carrying them with my left hand. <laughs> I was able to get down and it's kind of crazy. I was able to get through all the locks. This thumb was almost cut. You know, it was just so badly hurt that I couldn't had movement. So I don't even know how I got those doors open. But I was able to get out that side door, and um, that's when I, for the first time again, I felt like there was a little hope. Friends, I want to let you know that right now there are people who need you. And I know that some of you have had stories. I've surveyed audiences like you. And I know the stories of father wounds. And I know the stories of abuse that has taken place. I know the betrayals of covenants and spouses and addictions and what they've created. And I know in an audience like this, there are so many unique stories of how you have faced trauma and you have faced betrayals and wounds at the hands of others. And can I just tell you though, people need you. They need you not to just stay a victim your whole life and they need you to not just allow this story that is unfolding mentally in your mind that this has happened, this was wrong. It doesn't need to control what God wants to do in your life. There comes a point in time where you're going to have to start fighting. 
I won, I might have lost the fight for my life in a sense, the fight in that house that night. But I found that there was a greater fight that I was going to have to fight, and that was the fight to forgive. There's two key thoughts I want to just give with you, and this is why we created this 12 online experience. It's a forgiveness experience. It walks you through exercises. It walks you through so many different things to create an experience. But I discovered this. It says this, to undo a trauma or a wrong at the hands that someone else has committed against you, what it's going to do is this. You're going to need to have an equal or greater experiential moment. You see that? Look at it. To undo a trauma or a wrong. How many have experienced some trauma and wrongs in your life? So here it is. So many times those things happen, we become stuck. But to undo that so that you can move forward, you're going to have to have an equal or greater experiential moment. And let me tell you, here it leads to the second thought. That greater experiential moment is this. It is the experience of forgiving someone. It's the experience of forgiveness. So today in our remaining time, I want to deal with just one small aspect of this experience, of the forgiveness experience, and that is dealing with this, forgiving and forgiving and forgetting, forgiveness. And I'm going to give you two words right now to kind of, kind of explain this. The first word is imitate. Ephesians 4.32 puts it this way. It says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, we know that verse, it's probably been quoted often, but the emphasis on this verse is really two words, just as, or three words, just as God has forgiven you. In other words, our forgiveness should look like God's forgiveness towards us. Our forgiveness of others should resemble what his forgiveness looks like. Matter of fact, if you keep reading and you go to Ephesians 5.1, because remember when the Bible was written, they didn't have these chapter divides because it, what happened is that's Ephesians 4.32. The next verse says this, Ephesians 5.1, therefore, so it's going to tell you what, the reason why it's therefore, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. So in other words, forgiveness to the believer is not just something we get to choose to do, Forgiveness is something we are mandated to do, and forgiveness is something that should look like God's forgiveness in our lives, and we're to imitate it when it comes to relating to the people who've hurt and wounded you and I. So we got to deal with this issue. So the first word is imitate. One of the greatest, I don't have time to go into the amazing study of what um, imitating God's forgiveness looks like, but there is one part of God's forgiveness which I think is huge, and that is the forgetfulness of God and how God, who is all-knowing, can forget or remember no more our sins. Ephesians, or Hebrews 10, 17 says this, then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Psalms 103, 12, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Um, Jeremiah 31, 34, for I will forgive their wrongdoings and their sin. I will no longer remember. I love Isaiah 43, 25. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake, and I will never think of them again. The word blotted out, how many remember back in the day when we used to have to use typewriters? All right. 
How many remember something called liquid paper? Okay, some of you kids are like, huh, a typewriter? Yeah, we didn't have computers, and you just go backspace, backspace, backspace. We used to have to go click, 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 and if you messed up, you had what? If you didn't have liquid paper, guess what? You got to take it out, and you got to start all over. But they invented quick paper, or liquid paper, where if you messed up in typing out something, you could take this little thing out, and you could paint over what you did, basically, and it's white, and it comes on liquid, and then within a matter of like 10 seconds, you blow on it, and it hardens up so that you know what? You can backspace your typewriter, type over as if there was never an error. That's how we did. That is, friends, a great picture of what it means, how God blots out our transgressions. We mess up, we sin, we blow it. He forgives us but then he blots out. He's like, God says, nope, we're going to, and he doesn't use liquid paper. It's blotted out with the blood of Jesus. And he forgives us and he forgives us fully. But again, friends, listen, I love that. I love uh, I, um, the other verses, but here's the thing. What does it mean to remember no more? How can an all-knowing God be a forgetful God who can remember no more. Doesn't that like kind of sound like polar opposites? Listen, here's the key. When God says he remembers our sins no more, this is what, it doesn't mean an absence of memory, like amnesia, like, huh, I don't know what Pastor Kevin did last week, and I don't remember him. You know, he, he does good things, so I can't use him as an example. We got, but you know, it's, it's, we, it's, he doesn't have this amnesia, God is on, he knows what I did yesterday. He knows the attitude that I had. He knows the sins in my past. He doesn't like have amnesia and can't recall the information. But to remember no more, it means this. It means to no longer be influenced or affected by something. So when God forgives us and he blots out our sins and he remembers them no more, what he does, what he's doing is he says, I forgive you, I cancel the debt, but here it is. And I don't remember anymore. I'm not going to allow what you did yesterday, last month, one year ago. I'm not going to allow that to influence how I relate to you, how I talk with you, how much I love you. It doesn't change your standing with me. You're not going to be put on probation. I fully forgive you. I don't recall it. It's over. How many are thankful for that kind of forgiveness? Okay. How many forgive others that way? Oh, chirp, chirp, chirp. I hear crickets in here. Listen, friends, that is what forgiveness is supposed to look like. That when we forgive someone, now I always say this, forgiving and forgetting to me is not the beginning part. If I was to put two bookends on the forgiveness experience, it starts with trusting God because you're going to have to entrust others to him. <laughs> You're going to have to entrust justice outcomes, your reputation, being heard, being understood. You better trust God. So in our course, it'll start with trusting God. How do you trust God? Like for me, I struggled with trusting God because I asked this question. God, if you love me, how come you allowed this? That was my starting point. I put God on trial in the hospital room, and I was judge and jury, and I found him guilty until he brought his witnesses in and showed me that he was a lot closer than I could have ever imagined. 
But if I was to say, what's the goal of forgiveness? What's the end? What's the other book? I would say this. It is to, be, it is to forget what is behind you. It is to forgive and then get to a place where the people and what they did are no longer impacting you, influencing you negatively. They have any power or grip or control in your life. You are free and free indeed. That's the goal. So what I'm talking about here is I'm kind of, it's the end, but I got to get you going somewhere here. And this is the grace. And because the second word of not just imitating, the second word is this, it's running. It's running. And I may talked about this. A lot of times what we do is we, when people hurt us and wrong us, we have this fight or flight response, right? We want to run away. I'm not talking about running away. I'm talking about running to. Um, Philippians 3.13, it's the verse that just really grabbed hold of me. Um, in 14, it says this. This is the Apostle Paul. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says this amazing statement. He talks about forgetting what is behind. And what he's talking about here is this. He's not talking about three different things. He's talking about one thing. It's a picture. It's a picture of a runner running a race and he's running the race and the position he's running from in the race is first place. So when it says forgetting what's behind, it's, that's talking about your, the position in your race. He's talking about, Paul says, the one thing I do, I'm going to run from the lead. There's been parts of my story, people in my story, whatever, my successes, all of those, those things are all behind me. The one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to forget what's behind me. And so it means he's taking his position in first place. And then it says this, not only forgetting what's mine, I press on towards the goal. That's talking about the pace of his race. And so if you're going to be running from the first place and you're pressing and you're straining towards, that means you're running as fast as you can. Because to run as fast as you can, you have to be leaning forward, don't you? And if you're running as fast as you can, the one thing you can't do is this. Look behind you, can you? The moment you look in your past, you're no longer running as fast as you can. And the moment you look in the past and you're no longer running as fast as you can, you know what that means? You're probably not going to be leading your race for very long. So Paul says, I straight, and then he says this, and I press on towards the goal to win the prize. That's the pursuit who are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Paul says, the one thing I do, I run from the lead. I'm running as fast as I can, but he's running towards, not from. He's running towards Jesus. He's running towards the prize. He's running towards making sure the master, the father is so pleased with him. And every day, that's his goal, to wake up and to run this race every single day, no matter if it was a good day, bad day, a day of betrayal, a bad day of where you're triggered with things. He's running from the lead. He's running as fast as he can, and he's pursuing after Jesus. Friends, I'm going to tell you, that is the key to forgiving and forgetting. It is to run after Jesus. How does he do it? One of the heroes in the Bible to me, if you want to look, study forgiveness, is the Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph, what a life. Betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused, um, forgotten, and now 
time, 13 years of his life, is spent in prison. I mean, talk about a fertile ground for bitterness, right? That you don't get any. When you read the story of Joseph, probably the, the, one of the greatest verses in all the scripture is Genesis 50, 20. And that's where, um, it's the end of Joseph's life, towards the end of it. It's been 49 years after his brothers have betrayed him. And he says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God. Everyone say, but God. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is today to save many people. It's probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. We always say, what the devil meant for evil, what Satan meant for evil, what Lucifer meant. No, Joseph was talking to people with real names and real faces, and they were actually his brothers. It wasn't Satan. It wasn't Lucifer. It was Reuben, Simeon, Judah. It was his brothers who should have had his back, but they betrayed him, and they created 13 years of hardship and difficulty. But here it is, 49 years later, he's looking at him, he's saying, you intended this, but God intended that for good to what's happening today. And what he was doing is he became the second leading and the second leading person in all of Egypt. He's now taking care of his family. He's serving his family. And it made me go this. When I'm lying in the hospital room, I ask this question, God, how do I see that happen in my life? How do I get to a place years down the line and be able to have a testimony that says, this man meant evil. He did this to me. He created all this pain, all of this suffering. But God took all of that, reformed it, reshaped it, and turned it into good so that what I'm doing at this moment, this hour, I can sit here and go, there was a purpose in the pain. Look at what God is doing. I wanted so desperately, and I said, God, how do I do this? Part of the key to Joseph's strong ending was something that took place 21 years before he said those words and about 18 years after his brothers betrayed him. In Genesis 41, he became a father, and he, in, upon birthing, having his first son, he named him Manasseh, and listen what his, that son's name meant. It says, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph, 18 years, sometime in those first 18 years, God helped him forget all of his troubles. That means all of the negative impact, everything that was created because that began with a betrayal. Forgot all of those things, but then also his father's household. That means the people. Does he mean, does he forget their names? He doesn't know Reuben? Who are you? Simeon? Who are you? I've never seen, no. He knew exactly where. When he said it in Genesis 50, 20, he's crying. He's weeping. He remembers them and he remembers everything they did to him. But here's what happened. 18 years later, he got to the point, he becomes a father and all of a sudden, here's what happened. He forgets, meaning what happened to him and the people who did it, they were no longer having a negative impact on him. They were, never in, they were no longer having an influence in, in the story that God wanted to unfold in Joseph's life. Friends, that's the choice I want to present to you today. 
Because some of you here today, there's two groups of people. One, there's some of you here today who quite honestly, you don't know what it's like to be forgiven. And you walk with this shame and this guilt, this embarrassment, and because you know what's in the closet, these secrets. And some of you, you've never understood what it's like to be fully forgiven by God. You've never surrendered your entire life and made him Lord and made him, make him Savior. That you can embrace this forgiveness that was paid in full when he shed his blood on the cross. And so some of you, here it is. God wants to bring freedom to you today from the shame and guilt of your past. I'm going to ask you if you just close your eyes, bow your heads just for a quick second. I just want this between you and God. I'm not going to make you come forward. I'm not going to, but I am going to ask you to raise your hand in this. If you're here today and you'd say, Kevin, I need a savior. I need Jesus to be my Lord because I need him to be, I need him to fully forgive me. Forgive me in a way that blots out all of this past that is so makes me struggle with forgiving myself because I walk in this constant shame and guilt and I want to be free from it. Well, how do you get free from that shame and guilt? It's this. It's saying yes to Jesus. You're here today and you need that type of forgiveness. A forgiveness that forgives and a forgiveness that forgets. And you want that new beginning in Christ. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hands up real quickly. I don't want you to hesitate. I don't want you to think, like delay and wondering what people are thinking. If you know that there are those secrets, that shame and that guilt, because I've not experienced that type of forgiven forgiveness that comes from making him Lord of my life, if that's you, on the count of three, lift your hands up. One, two, three. Lift it up real quick. One, two, three. Lift up real quick. I'm starting to write. One, two, three, four. Anyone in this middle section? Five. Anyone else? Anyone else? Six. Anyone else? Seven. Eight. Nine. Ten. Anyone else? I need God's forgiveness. Eleven. Twelve. Thirteen. Listen. You raise your hand. I want you to pray this with, pray this prayer after me. All of us, let's repeat this prayer. Just say, dear Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my sins. You paid it in the form of your blood. You've not only forgiven me today, but you're blotting out every part of my past, every sin, because I come to you and I repent and I turn from that path and I'm making you Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Jesus that today I am forgiven. I'm not on probation. I am your son and daughter. In Jesus' name, amen. Secondly, here it is. Some of you here today, reality is this, you're not running from first place. You're not running from the lead and you're not able to see God begin to work and to see him bring about the great plans in your life. You're wondering, what's the will of God? Why don't I feel like I can hear God's voice? You know why? It's because you're running in second and third and fourth place. Some of you, you know what's leading your race? It's, it's that anger. Some of you that's leading that, it's you, you, you're waiting for an apology. 
Some of you, it's, it's bitterness. Some of you, it's, it's the fear of the future and unknown and you're allowing all of these things to lead your race because of what? Because of what someone did to you. Friend, I wanna cheer you on in the race to say, here's what you do. Begin to run after Jesus, but run as fast as you can because when you're running as fast as you can, you're gonna stop looking backwards. And when you're stopped looking backwards, you know what happens? That means everything behind you, the people, the events, all of those emotions, those feelings, those things are now gonna begin to fall further and further behind. Why? Because you're running fast after Jesus. The practical, the practical application, look at the life of Joseph. How did he do it? What did he do between one and 19 years when God helped him, made him forget? You know what he did? He served other prisoners. You know what he did? He became for the first time in his life a seer. He couldn't notice his own family members hurting because they wanted the love of the father. And now all of a sudden in prison for the first time, he notices two guys downcast. And he says, why are you downcast? And he started asking questions and he started listening to the dreams of others. See, the temptation is when you are struggling to forgive, you go inward and you stop living outward and upward. God wants you to run. Stand with me to your feet and here's the charge. If you're here today and you'd say there's a name, there's a face, there's an event, there's a story that you have fought to forgive and you don't know, it's just, it's not fully been able to forgive. You know if you've fully forgiven them. You know how? If they were to walk in this room right now, you would go, oh, they're here, they're here, honey. Let's go, let's get out of the things. Oh, they're walking over by me, I'll cover. Let's pretend like we're having a conversation here. I mean, there's a lot of things we do to try to cover it up. Because forgiveness is not just saying, I forgive them. No, 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 no. There's choices to forgiveness, but the choice is not to forgive. You're here today and you know there's something in your heart towards someone you're struggling to forgive. You can't let it go, you haven't been, and, there's, and because of that, Anxieties leading your life. For some of you, there's habits and addictions leading your life, all rooted in unforgiveness. If that's you today, your marriage is suffering. You know why? Because he said this about 10 years ago and you haven't been able to drop it. You haven't been able to find victory. Listen, you can run from the lead. If that's you on the count of three, if that's you, you have someone in your life like that. Put your hand up real quick. One, two, three, that's you. That's you, put it up real big. Yep, 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 all big. Keep it up, keep it up. Now here's the thing, you've got a choice. Here's the choice of forgiveness. You can begin to run after Jesus or you can just kind of, I raise my hand and that's good. I'm gonna ask you to do something. Running faster after Jesus, increasing your pace in the race, it means you're gonna have to start moving. And I'm gonna ask you this, if you raise your hand, you really meant business, you want freedom, you don't wanna allow these other things to keep leading in your life. Why? Because people need you. And they need you to be the first best version of you. If you, that was you and you raise your hand to me, I wanna pray with you. I'm gonna ask you to slip out of your seats right now. Come join me at this altar. Just come right now. I wanna pray over you today that God would just bring you the victory. He would give you not the ability to forgive, but the ability to endure and run faster after Jesus like never before. That he would open your eyes to see other prisoners. He would open your mouth to stop talking about your pain and see the pain in others. That God would begin to use you mightily. If that's you, step out. Come on, make your way down here. Make your way down here. Worship team, just lead us quickly in a song. Begin to put your eyes on Jesus. Would you just lift your hands up right now? Come on, let's lift them up to the Lord. Let's worship for just a second, and then I'll lead us in a prayer.
darkness has to retreat just one touch I feel the presence of anything that that person does to you for you it's not based on an apology it's not based on justice in my case it wasn't based on a sentence issued by the court I forgave based on one issue how much God had forgive has forgiven me so I want to encourage you. I'm gonna pray for you again at the back table there's a resource we have a 12-week program or 12 episodes that it's documentary based, it's other stories, it's teaching, it's got a 185 page downloadable workbook. If you wanna purchase a written workbook that's there, all of those proceeds, they don't go to me, they go to help us reach inmates in the prisons of America. And God has opened doors for us to reach out right now in Texas death row. And we're working with a number of those inmates right now and they're actually gonna be utilizing that in their coursework for the death row inmates. And so, but here it is, it's about you right now. Would you just lift your hands just like this and just surrendering to the Lord? Would you just say this? Say, Jesus, I forgive because I've been forgiven. You have empowered me to forgive even my unfor unforgivable. Today, I'm going to begin running after you. I'm going to begin pursuing you with greater intensity. Not to earn your approval, but God, so that you can pour out your spirit in a greater way so that I can forgive just like Jesus. 
today, God, I pray, forgive my enemies, even when they have no idea what they've done to me. I put them in your hands. I trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give Jesus a clap off and a praise? God bless you. Amen. Don't take off yet. Don't, don't, don't take off. Don't take off yet. Um, the two things I need to say, as a person who's dealt with a lot of forgiveness issues in my life, one of the things that you're going to need to do, and, and I think what he's encouraging you to do is there's a, you know, there's a process. Today is a step in your process. But another thing you need to do is have a real conversation with a real human being about the hurts to get this out. If that's a counselor, if it's, hold on, that's why the body of Christ exists, is to develop the friendships that you can have that will support you and godly uh, character support you. So get in a small group, get in a life group, do what you need to do, but you do need to have a relationship with another person. If it's a counselor or whatever it is, but get in that relationship so that you can talk through the emotions and things you have. Make sure it's a good Christian counselor too. They'll yell at you like mine did to me. <laughs> All right. So yeah, make sure you do that. So that's that's for those of us that struggle with that forgiveness. And then the second thing is, I do want to let you know. Do you know? Do you know why Kevin Ramsby has the power and the credibility to talk about what he talked about today? Because he's got the scars. Your scars, the, the, those don't make you weird or an outcast. Your scars give you credibility. And whatever you're going through, and whatever you go through, and whatever you have to forgive, and whatever you have to grow through, those give you the credibility to be able to help others through their scars. So thank you for using your scars to save lives. Can we give a hand to Kevin? Thank you, sir. Now may the Lord bless you and may keep you and may cause his face to shine upon you and to give you peace. God bless you guys. Have a great week.